if you can work on set, even if you're just a runner, you're just going to learn more in hours than you ever will in college. Welcome to the Pitched Industries podcast. Hey guys, what's going on and welcome back to another episode of the Pitched Industries podcast. My name's Nick White and on today's show, I'm going to be sharing a conversation I had with the extremely talented photographer and director, Tim Swallow. If you're interested in commercial, fashion, lifestyle, or even surf photography, I'd be surprised if you hadn't seen some of his works before. Over the past year, Tim has shot editorials for Rush Magazine, Vogue, America and Australia, Monster Children and Harper's Bazaar. On this episode, Tim talks about his influences in photography, super helpful advice for photographers starting out now, his biggest mistakes, and so much more. Without rambling on anymore, let's get straight into this chat with Tim Swallow. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Look, I'm stoked to have the opportunity to have a chat with you today, and I have heaps of stuff I'd like to talk with you about. But let's start from the beginning. Where does it all start for you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. I guess my upbringing was like, fairly isolated and, and secluded in a way. I grew up on a self-sufficient five-acre farm four kilometres out of Bustleton. And um, I don't know if you know where Bustleton is, but that's 300 kilometres south of Perth. And Perth is the most remote city in the world um, yeah. located in West Australia. So I think to begin with, having that isolation kind of really inspired me to like look out and, and see the world and, and want to see the world. Um, and without really knowing it, I guess photography was in my life from the get-go, really. Even though it wasn't my dad's job, it was a big part of his job. So from a very young age, he was photographing real estate as a valuer. Yep. And uh, I got to see and kind of observe him kind of just having gear lying around and dropping all these rolls in and, and picking up the film and and kind of checking out the photos, which were usually, you know, kind of boring. But at the end of every roll, you know, they always kind of snap something fun and, and we would be in it. It was kind of like a big surprise getting the film back. It was, it was exciting. Yeah. So just seeing that whole development process of like shooting, dropping off the film, getting it back, and then they would go in his reports. So that and probably... A really simple thing, you know, like sitting in a cafe with my mum. We used to sit in this cafe. It was like a big bay window. And we used to look at people, like people watch. Yeah. And she would be like, look at that guy. Like, you know, red and sparkly. And yeah. I'd be like, look at that woman's moustache. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, it was just... So from a very young age, I was like watching this film process take place through my dad but also picking up all these like kind of details through my mum and like I've got like a lot of traits similar to my mum like we've both got a lot of energy some would say kind of ADD-ish um, and a lot of attention to detail and placement which would kind of come across as probably a bit OCD yep. so like without the like way before even picking up a camera it was kind of like already getting ingrained into me and then i guess um once i did pick up that camera and it wasn't my dad it was just like a disposable um i was kind of off you know yeah i wasn't really into playing traditional sports like football or cricket 
I kind of got into surfing and skating like cre- and creating my own path and listening to music and being influenced, heavily influenced by music. So from the get-go, I was kind of like photographing and documenting the surf trip or the skate mission, you know, and it wasn't yeah. until my teens I, I started to have a girlfriend and then that was a, a new thing to explore. I was like, oh, well, I want to photograph this moment. So I guess that's when... I really took my first composed photo. I took a lot of time, you know, so much time that she was like, what are you doing? Yeah. But um, I just kind of wanted her to, I wanted the photo to compliment her and, and her feel beautiful. So I guess that's kind of like where that came about, like, you know, on a little disposable on the beach and, and hanging out at the skate park. <clears throat> yeah. And then after that, it kind of just remained a hobby for a while. I went to college, um, studied architectural drafting, um, and went straight into work, still in Bustleton. Um, and after about a year, it was just like, whoa, nine to five is not my vibe. So I um, booked a, a ticket to Europe and via the Mentire Islands and... Um, and found myself over there. It was good. I, I booked a ticket for six weeks and ended up staying for four years. Um, wow. I just I couldn't couldn't leave the house without a camera. I was just so... It was like an overload of cultural experience, architecture, uh, food, people. I just I shot everything. Um, yeah, it was, it was probably the best training you could ask for was just being inspired by travel and what was around me in the environment, a very foreign environment. Yeah. In those early days, who were your biggest influences? Who did you really look up to or want to be surrounded by with your work? I don't know. It was kind of, I, I did know about some photographers that I, I really loved um, in, in a strange way, actually. Um, we had this kind of, kind of German connection with my family and I had known about Helmut Newton. And if you look into his work, he's kind of weird and wacky, and but he's sexy and, and his work's incredible. So I kind of, I found out about his work at a fairly early age, which was just really great inspiration. Um, and then also my my little sister got given the Annie Leibovitz book. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, like those two books, like, Sumo and I think Annie Leibovitz is called like Pictures or something. Those two books, if you look at them back to back, it's like that's kind of my style. Probably just from like really absorbing those books so much and being on the road in Europe. After that, I kind of got into more books and and found some other some other people like you know Slim Aarons, Robert Frank, William Eggleston. You know, Ryan McGinley, they all influenced me a lot. But those kind of, those first two books were just like, this is this is photography. I, yeah. I highly recommend everyone to get into those two books. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I, I've, um, I've actually done a lot of reading on Annie Leibovitz as well. And talking about directors, some of her later shoots for Rolling Stones and all that are just unbelievable mm. to see the behind the scenes and the amount of effort that goes into the production and and everything behind those Absolutely. shoots is amazing. Yeah, a lot of a lot of cogs um, in 
in that big wheel turning, you know, and um, everyone's role is, is important. And, um, and that helps the photographer, like, you know, no one's better than anyone else. And, and uh, it's a team effort. Like she could just not produce that stuff by herself. Obviously, you know, you go on tour with Rolling Stones um, in their prime, you know, yeah. you've got a great subject in front of you. And she, she proved that time and time in the game. But um, once you kind of get more into the commercial fashion advertising world, you need a lot of people to support you. And, and she definitely is one of those people with a great team. So knowing what you know now as a photographer, is there something that you wish you had known years ago? Probably just not to get cocky, like stay, stay humble. Um, it's yeah. kind of easy, like when things are going really well, um, you know, bank accounts healthy and you're on a bit of a roll, it's easy to kind of get cocky and confident. And then all of a sudden, you know, the call's not coming anymore and, and you've got to start the hustle again. And then you're like, wow, I'm, I, I'm pretty re- replaceable, you know? Yeah. Um, there's another kid, like, just, you know, right up your butt, like, trying to steal your job. So it's kind of, you've just got to stay, like, super current and onto it and, and keep it really fresh. So I'm sure there's going to be a heap of people out there listening who are going to be pretty interested in knowing what equipment you use. What are the two best pieces mm-hmm. of equipment you use on your photo shoots day to day? I'm going to split this answer into two parts. Yep. Um, part one is my eyes and my brain. Yep. I think um, no one sees what I see and no one thinks the way I think. And I think that's really important. Like everyone has a unique vision and um, you've got to utilize that. Yeah. So whether that be a different angle or the way you see light or color or shape, um, I think that's probably the best equipment that I have. But then from a technical side, um, it kind of varies. I use on my big commercial jobs, like if we're shooting to billboard, um, it's a Nikon D850, which is the new Nikon camera. It's it's out of control yep. uh, with a, a set of new Nikon lenses. Um, and we tether all our staff. I usually have a couple of assistants and we scrim and shape and bounce light. So that kind of helps. Um then for sporting water stuff, I use the D3S with an Aquatech housing. I shoot predominantly with like a, on primes and with this, I shoot like a 50 millimeter prime. Um, I just think it's a really good balance between being up close, but not like fish eye on everything or like two on the barrel or yeah. whatever. And then uh, all my film is actually shot on my... Not my dad's camera anymore, but I I loved it so much that after shooting everything on my dad's film camera for so many years, actually went and bought the replica in Germany last year, which is like the Nikon F series. And oh, cool. um, it's a sick camera. I love it. And I just know it really well because I've been shooting on it since, you know, I'd gone to Europe. Yeah. Um, what, um, what model is it? Um, it's the N90S. Yeah. It's a, it's a great camera. Really great camera. And um, then for all our video stuff, it's um, a bit of a mixture. We've got the red at the moment, and we use a set of vintage um, Nikon lenses, um, all primes. And then we have 16mm camera, 8mm, um, and high 8 
film. So yeah, yeah lots of lots of different lots of different things going on there. But, yeah. Um, answer to your question, we have a lot of gear. Yeah, I was, but, I was about um, to say. So the answer is you use a lot of gear. That's that's unreal. A that's lot of stuff, a lot yeah. of equipment. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's just been over time. You know, like I'm. I've been shooting full time for twelve years. I've been shooting full time for about four. Do you know, like it's yeah, it's just over time. You just buy that little bit bits and pieces, you know, and then slowly you build your kit up. Yeah, yeah. So. I think it's interesting. Um, you're not the first person I've interviewed who's spoken about how they only use prime lenses. I think that's kind of really interesting. Is it seems mm-hmm. like once you have a prime lens on, you kind of you can't really overthink things. Yeah, absolutely. For, for shooting water, 100%. Because you just, you, you know, you, you talk to the subject and, and you kind of gauge your your space between each other. You put yourself in the right position and then you guys, you work to that 50 mil. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if I'm shooting like something that's moving, I might go to a zoom, but it'd be like a really tight zoom. Yep. Um, but that's very... Very rarely, really. I always use primes. They're just faster and sharper, and and they're a bit more compact. Like if you're, you know, to t- pop a thirty-five on and stroll down the street and, and shoot some travel or whatever, it's very inconspicuous. You're not really drawing much attention, so you kind of you just blend in with what what's going on around you, rather than being like Mr. Photo Guy, you know, with this yeah. huge lens on and attracting too much attention. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, so let's move it forward now from equipment and let's talk about the future of photography. Do you often think about where photography is headed in the future and does your thinking about this influence the way you approach your photography today? We're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's all good. I don't overthink it, but it is, it's changed so much in the time I've been shooting. Like, and, and even the way I've, you know, from seeing my dad when he was shooting, it was just, it's changed so much, like, um, in good and bad ways. Good ways is having these social platforms in which people can get photos up there and within, within a second, they can be like, I'm a photographer, this is my portfolio, I'm on, you know, Instagram or whatever. That's great. Like, you know, a lot of people can see that or nobody, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I think... It doesn't matter, like, if you're producing good work and an art director can see that work, they're going to book you for a job, you know? Unfortunately, the numbers kind of come into it. You know, you have, like, 16-year-olds with 13 million followers shooting huge campaigns, and I personally don't think their work's that great, but they've got the following, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so there's kind of that downfall, but, and you kind of see, like, a lot of watered-down kind of, there's a lot of stuff that I just think is really naff, you know, um, and it kind of just looks the same. And it'll, it's just a bit of a wash. But I guess, like, the more traditional guys, like, I think, you know, I, I follow a lot of directors and their work is incredible and they'll have, like, no followers. And I'm just like, you guys are mad dogs. Like, I love you. And, yeah. um I think, and they're just booking job after job. I've got friends as well. Like, it just doesn't it doesn't really affect them because they're that good and they actually have real connections with real people and they're, you know, possibly signed with an agent or whatever. And they've got those solid connections. Whereas like, I wouldn't say any of my work comes through social platforms. I think it's may come through them having a browse to see what I'm about, but 
kind of the level I'm on now. Like I'm not really getting any work through Instagram or whatever. It's all through my agency or or the people I know. So good, bit of good and bad. I've been trying to get uh, you might you might have heard of them, the Tungsten Brothers. Ian yeah, and I do know them. Yeah, I've been emailing them for the last few weeks, and they still haven't gotten back to me. So if you guys are listening to this, Ian and Eric, get back to my emails and get come on the show, please. They should. Yeah, have you have you worked with them in the past? Um, not not really worked with them, but Eric was really he was really lovely. Like when I when I first started out, like yeah, he had the time to just kind of sit down with me and go through some work and. And he kind of critiqued some of my stuff. And then he also just gave me like a great conversation about like what I should be charging and what I'm, what I'm really worth and that kind of thing. So that, that was kind of a lovely thing that he didn't really need to do. And I haven't had that many leg ups in my career. I've kind of done a lot of it by myself, but that was definitely, that was an afternoon of insight. And basically from there, like drawing up my price list and just going, well, this is what I charge now, I guess, you know? Yeah. So, um, I would love it if those guys came on the show. They, they totally should. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Um, I'll have to keep getting on their backs. I think Tim said they should. <laughs> Bang. There it is. Tim says you guys should come yeah. on. You've got to come on now. Yep. 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 All right. So, um, I want to move forward now, um, as I'm sure there's going to be a lot of um, uni students and, and people who are just holding their, their first camera and listening to this just going, man, this is all great. But what are three pieces of advice that you would give passionate photographers starting out today? I would say quit everything. <laughs> and so focus, focus full time? I would say quit everything and email as many agencies, photographic agencies and photographers, like don't just email them once, email them three or four times if you have to. Just make sure you get through them. Not in like a stalker kind of way, but if you can work on set, even if you're just a runner, you're just going to learn more in hours than you ever will in college. If you can work on the job, if you're even just sitting in the car or you're just like dumping cards or you know, like you're just holding a holding a scrim. What you'll learn on day number one is just going to be huge. And if, if you can just keep getting on set or, or like even carry the guy's bag or whatever, yeah. you know, you're just going to yeah. learn so much. I, I would obviously try to get a little bit of money towards you or tee something up beforehand, but um, I wouldn't really worry about the equipment side of things. I would just kind of focus on, yeah, just assisting someone straight off the bat. Yeah. And um, next piece of advice is probably just having a really good attitude, like rocking up on time, seeing if he or her wants a coffee. And, you know, when I when I have assistants, just ask those little things. You want a glass of water or you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, that number one piece like, of advice to become friends with someone is, I reckon, is just straight out, do you want a coffee, mate? I reckon that's just like, yeah, goes it, so far. You know, it's just huge. It, it just is, though. It's just like, um, yeah, just think before they need to ask you know and it's just like just get on set assist someone be friendly get along with everyone you know like you really can't get wrong and i think from that you're, you're really speed lining everything absolutely everything just just get on set call that photographer that you like you know call him 10 times like i've, I've had to do stuff like this before and you know you feel like an idiot but it really does pay off and then Third piece of advice is just surround yourself with people that you you admire and inspire you. Like 
you know, I'm very lucky over time to have, you know, become friends with people I've worked with and and I guess we kind of just bounce energy off each other and, and um, critique each other. We're like brutally honest with each other. Yeah. Um, but it's it's good and everyone needs it. And if you can't take criticism, then I don't know. You're not going to be able to evolve, just, that's for sure. Yeah, you're not really going to be able to grow. So, um, yeah, you need to take constructive criticism and really take it all in ask ask these people that inspire you or you look up to and just just say like give it to me and um i've had a few people you know that have done that in my my career and it's it's refreshing it's really really good yeah moving on now i'd like to find out some of the mistakes you might have made in the past tell me your go-to story when people are talking about their biggest (laughs) fuck-ups I, I, I drowned a camera. Yeah, that Your was Your camera was or someone one. else's camera? Yeah, no, my one. I was shooting in the barrel and it was a pretty solid day and this wine just kind of like, I just couldn't pull out in time and I went over the falls and my body somehow hit the housing oh, and I no. actually heard the click. I like, I just don't know how it like unlocked the safety and pulled up the latch at the same time like it was uncanny yeah that is and, a hard um, thing to do i knew i knew exactly in that point in time i've drowned the camera and i was just getting flogged and then i've kind of come up and I've, i held the housing up <clears throat> above my head and just saw the water drain out and i kind of like put the latch back on and had to swim in like an otter <laughs> and um I was down south at the time, so like I had a good like 350 kilometer drive up to Camera Electronics in in Perth, just like yeah. on the phone to them, like what should I do, like da da da, and and the camera was just shot, like it was insured, but it was just those few weeks of like not really knowing what was going on and if the camera was going to be able to be retrieved and and not having a camera and having to work and those kind of things. And what was the yeah. final verdict? Yeah, it was toast. Like, you know, oh, once no. salt gets in the camera, it's, it's like they had a, a good look at it and they were like, we could probably retrieve this, but eventually the corrosion will just take over. So, yeah, it was it was gone. But I like I double check and triple check all my latches and even just while I'm swimming, I'll, I'll do it over and over and over again. Whether or not that was just like a fluke, I'm, I'm to this day really don't know. But yeah, it was a big, big mistake. Big mistake. What are the biggest risks that you've taken as a photographer, and how did they pay off? I guess biggest risks, like a, a pretty big one, was, was moving to Sydney and not really knowing anyone, and really just having to put yourself out there and having to, you know, go to meetings with you know magazines and just like. You just feel like an idiot. You, it's like every every single job you go for, you, you I, I apply for you know fifty jobs a year. Do you know what I mean? So you get a yep. lot of like no's, you know, or like you might work on a treatment for maybe you know a week um, and just not get the job. So like that in itself is kind of it's a courageous step, and it's it's something that like after a while, I guess you kind of just harden up and you don't have as much expectation yeah it's that's probably the biggest step is just kind of really putting yourself in there and that that was a big one for me I guess when I was younger I was a bit shy and and timid and then after a while you kind of just it's just life and it's your job and and you just have to kind of keep putting yourself out there and keep 
keep making new contacts, travel, make more contacts, and and then hopefully the work starts coming back, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'd just like to talk with you about how you get girls to model for you. I know it must be quite easy for you to team up with girls and brands for photo shoots now, but explain to us how you went about doing this in the beginning. In the beginning, it basically just started off with, you know, one or two girlfriends or, or guy friends, you know, yep. um, that kind of wanted to get a couple of photos together for a modeling portfolio with an agency. So it was kind of in their best interest and in my best interest because I wanted to improve my skills. It was predominantly like two or three girls that I kind of really worked with. Like the guys were easy. We'd just go surfing and hang out and go skating or whatever. But I guess with with girls, it was kind of like, well, I don't really know what to do. So we'd just, you know... Um, go for a swim or usually an activity. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of start shooting away. They were feeling it out. I was feeling it out. Um, we didn't really have a clue. The photos were, were bad, but at the time we thought they were great. And then I guess from there, like they would have contacted an agency. And then once my work had gotten to a level, like it was, it was just all practice, you know, and, and it was all very innocent. I, I think it was like one or two of these models had um, contacted the agency and the agent had actually called me up and said, could you come in? And it, that didn't really take long. Maybe maybe working with like three or four talent um, until I got the call. So yep. um, I guess mine was, was fairly speed-lined in a way, but from there and pretty much ever since, I have worked through an agency and it's, I, I sometimes get these really strange questions like, oh, I mean, like, you know, all these girls, like, or, or you know, these cool guys or whatever. You like, it's really professional kind of way it all comes together. Like, I get I get sent a casting sheet. I go through probably 15 talent. I'll do like a, like a um, go see with a couple. And then from there, you know, I'll do the booking. And before the booking starts, I have to sign off. I work predominantly with IMG Worldwide and have to sign off on everything and what they're comfortable with, what I'm comfortable with and where, where the images are going and for how long and what's the usage. So, yeah, I guess it's, it's very different. I could see how it would be hard trying to get those contacts to begin with. Probably I'd suggest getting a friend, taking a bunch of photos, get a headshot, get like a three-quarter body, a full-length body, yep. a side, a, you know, a profile, and um, just keep practicing that routine until, and, and keep showing, you know, an agency, a talent agency, until they say, you know what, like we've got this new person in town and, and they need a headshot. And yeah, you're probably going to have to do a couple for free, but then after a while, like if you if you're good enough, you can start charging for a test shoot. So, what would that test shoot charge be like? Starting out, you can probably charge like two to three hundred dollars, but like if you're good, that might only take an hour. But then you know, depending on who it is, like some of the more high-profile models, like sometimes they might get a haircut and completely change their look, and they might be going for a big job like the following week. So I might. You know, I don't really do tests anymore, but, you know, I used to get the call and just say, hey, we need this done now. Like, can, can we organize something? So you just quickly put something together and, and uh, shoot it, edit it, get it back to them. So that with those kind of jobs, you can actually charge, like, quite a bit more. Yeah. yeah. 
Where do you get your inspiration for locations for shoots like these? It's usually from driving to and from surf. I surf almost every day, and at the moment I'm on the east coast um, of Australia. So coming from the west or and and living in Europe, it's exciting to be over here. So I just kind of kind of go on all these missions. Yep. And uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. The weather's really good. The water's super clear, and yeah, it's I just. Every time I kind of meet someone or stay down the coast at someone's house or whatever, it's it just kind of comes. And then, you know, when I have a job or editorial on, I, I'm just like, hey, this is a spot I checked out on the weekend. Like it happens so often, it's actually kind of um, quite comes quite easily. Look, before we wrap things up today, I'd just like to let all the listeners know that you can find information on everything me and Tim have discussed today, links taking you everywhere, and even some of Tim's work over at pitchedindustries.com. But are there any places you'd like the audience to go to find out more about you, your work, and what you have planned for the future, Tim? Yeah, I think I'll have like an upcoming exhibition soon. I'm, I'm kind of working on that at the moment. But in the meantime, I'm on Insty, like most people. Yep. Um, and that is Tim underscore swallow underscore photo. I also have a website called timswallow.com. I also have another website called thelagooncollective.com. That's my more commercial work that I um, shoot everything with my DOP, Edric Lone. Yep. And then my agency also has uh, kind of like a flash website page for me as well, which is the kitchen com.au so yeah depending on how deep you want to get you can check it all out yeah awesome what's the exhibition looking like at the moment it's kind of at the at the moment it's it's like a concept i'm kind of really trying to work out color and form and shape and the tone i guess like my last exhibition was in a way like quite free and loose and almost juvenile so i'm trying to like yeah trying to have something a little more matured but you know i've got plenty of time to get old as well so i'm trying to find out that balance where to sit between you know yeah i'm not too sure when it's going to be but um they're just things i'm i'm hashing out at the moment so yeah we'll see how we go yeah absolutely yeah i'll put all those links up in the show notes for anyone that's interested but um for now i'd really just like to say thanks so much tim for coming on it's been unreal having a chance to have a chat with you Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Cheers. So that's about it for today, guys. I hope you guys got something out of this episode, or maybe it's given you a few tips or pointers or even answered a few questions you might have had. I'd love to hear from you guys about what you're thinking of this podcast. If there's things you'd like me to add or even any particular guests you'd like me to get on the show, please, please, please get in contact with me via the pitchedindustries.com website where you can head to the contact page, send me an email, or you can head over to Instagram and leave me a direct message there. For now, guys, I'm going to leave it there, but I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys next week. Cheers.